it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we got a great one in store today. Kind of a busy one, in fact. Um, during the third half of our three-hour tour, we have a couple of very interesting uh, encores. Um, we're going to hear... Uh, from Genesee County Sheriff Chris Swanson. Remember, he made national news when he joined a group of Black Lives Matter marchers. Um, after asking them what he wanted, what they wanted him to do, um, a very sentient member of the crowd said, "Walk with us." He said, "Okay," and he ordered all the guys to, you know, remove their their uh, riot gear and and walk with the protesters. Very interesting moment. And then a uh, journalist who had written a book. This is also an encore from. I don't think it might be pre-pandemic even, um, but uh, journalist Vicky Ward wrote a book called Kushner Inc. And I think you'll find it interesting to revisit that conversation also we're going to hear from uh, tom madden from transmedia who uh, writes writes a column called madam's her madden's mischief and uh, he takes on um ted cruz and the word kerfuffle which uh, is kind of an interesting and fun conversation but first we're going to start out this hour with a former crime reporter and best-selling author um, who has a new book called All the Dirty Secrets. And uh, she joins me by phone, Agatha Bloom Thompson. Um, Aggie, I think I misspoke, but uh, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Does Is Aggie uh, a more familiar term for Agatha? No, it's short for Agnes, which was my great-grandmother... Uh, Agnes Kinney, who came over from Ireland. <laughs> well, my my uh, my apologies for jumping to the wrong conclusion there, um, but Aggie, welcome all the same, and and I'm looking Thank forward you. to it. You know, I always ask journalists turned authors if the writing is very different. That's a good question, and I think. Um, I would say that, yes, the writing is different, but there are some things that carry over. I think that people who have um, training as reporters understand certain things, like getting to the point quickly. <laughs> Brevity. Um, yes. 
and, and just making things clear, when you're a newspaper reporter, if you've worked in Newsville, you know that clarity is really important. And I think that's something you carry over with you into fiction. You don't, I, I, I feel that because of that, I, I'm really aware of how um, what I'm writing is coming across to the reader. So there's not a lot of confusion, um, which I think is sort of a rookie mistake of, of, of you have all the knowledge and you think it's so obvious to the reader. Um, and so, and I also think, um, uh, just like you said, brevity is the soul of wit, just keeping things succinct, because if you're a reporter, you have to write, write to, to word or to inch. Um, and so I, I do write tight, as they say. There's a certain amount of um, self-editing that goes on in, uh, in writing news, um, although you have editors, and I'm sure they can be brutal at times, but... Um, I wonder if if that ability to tighten things up, but also to look at something you're writing, a story you're telling in the news, and go, yeah, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem real. It doesn't add up. Does that that nose for what seems believable? Does that inform writing when you write a novel like uh, All the Dirty Secrets? Sure. I think that having, like you said, the nose for news is, is really key when you're a reporter, um, is knowing when there's a story there or not. And I, I, I can give you tons of examples. Just one was I remember uh, covering police out in Virginia Beach, and um, there was this tiny line item at the end of a kind of pretty boring uh, bureaucratic meeting, you know, about budgets or something. And it was a line item about a grant they had gotten about facial recognition software. And I remember saying to my editor, I, th I think that's something. I'm going to stay, you know, to the very end of the meeting. And um, no one, at the, you know, other people didn't necessarily think it was anything. Um, and then, of course, it turned out to be this story, this huge story where the police were installing facial recognition software on the boardwalk in Virginia Beach to take photographs of all people who walked by and compare them against criminal databases. So um, you got to kind of have that, no that sense, you know, that knows, as you say, that this might actually turn out to be something really good. And sometimes it doesn't, but um, it is important to be able to recognize that. I remember talking to uh, a reporter from, uh, from Detroit who covered uh, the state capitol. And he broke a story um, that turned out to be a huge scandal about two legislators, uh, two state legislators that were having an affair. And when I yeah. talked to him about it later, and, and what was interesting about this story was that they had um, the, the man in this saga had um, jumped through all kinds of hoops to cover this thing up some really bizarre stuff too um, very strange emails and press releases and and a lot of it oh, on, wow. a lot of it on state time and um, when I talked to the reporter he said you know a couple people in the state legislature have an affair that isn't really news but when when this idiot started doing the things he was doing to cover it up, that's when it became a story. And it became such a scandal that it cost them both their house seats. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that's 
But that's that thing where, you know, he he wasn't going to write the story until it, it's like the story almost forced him to write it. <laughs> you know, yeah, he didn't want to write absolutely. another one of those political sex scandal things. And, um, and he didn't think it was really that newsworthy. But then yeah. there was behavior that made it so. When you're writing a, a story for a novel, you don't have the facts to hang your story on. You have to insert those. What is that process like, and, and does that feel strange to somebody who's been a traditional reporter? Uh, it, it doesn't because I've always been interested in fiction. I've always okay. wanted to write. Um, so, for example, my book is about, it takes place at Beach Week which is uh, kind of a tradition out here in the mid-Atlantic where uh, graduating high school seniors head out to the beach for a full week. Their parents rent them houses. They often buy them alcohol. And it's just thousands of teens on the shore. And I didn't, I didn't grow up with that. I grew up in New York. And when I came down to D.C. and I learned about that, I thought it was, it was kind of fascinating. But it went to the back of my mind. But then um, a few years later, a few years ago, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearing. Um, he was talking about um, being at Beach Week. And I don't know if you remember this, but he submitted his his calendar into um, evidence, his calendar back from the time period in question. And across one full week in capital letters, it said Beach Week. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there was this flurry of interest in Beach Week and the Atlantic and all these magazines had articles trying to explain it. And I realized I have to write something about Beach Week. Not about... Brett Kavanaugh, not about anything factual, but just it, the time was right, and I, I'd been interested in it for a long time. So Interesting. And another element, and I, I read somewhere, um, it, it describes the, the plot in your book um, as having a lot of moving parts. <laughs> yes, yes, and, that's very true. And And... There's one that I find really interesting, and that is the the uh, 25 year bridge between a beach week disappearance and or drowning in in both time periods and a, a connection um, to one of the characters in the book who was there for the one 25 years ago, and then you know, is close to the one that happens, uh, you know, in contemporary times. Um, where did that, that idea come from to connect those two things that were those the similar events from 25 years apart? And would that have come up if you were writing the news story? about the current one? Um, well, I think I was very interested in the idea of these, these, these two semi-similar events, but that seem random, actually being deeply, deeply connected, and about the, the adults in the world being in denial about that, not wanting to see that connection, and the younger generation, the main character's daughter, starting to dig in and sort of pull back the curtain on this very elite 
private school world and show exactly how these deaths are connected. Um, and, and when you're writing, whenever you write a story about something like this, you, if you were writing a news story, you would absolutely do the research and find out what else had happened in a similar vein. Um, and it's funny because in my book, my main character is a former police reporter, and she even talks about how she's writing about the current death for the school's alumni magazine, and she wants to pull out and write what's called a sidebar, which is like a little skinny story about the death that happened 25 years ago. So I do think that, you know, I, I drew on that realistic, real-life experience of, yes, that is what a, a writer would do, a reporter would do, is go back and pull in uh, historical similarities or other cases that were similar and mention them. Does that ever happen where a, a reporter goes back and looks at, at a similar event, writes the sidebar, the stories appear side by side, um, hopefully for the reporter on page one, um, and 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 then there's a reaction that says there might be more to one or the other or both stories than than we've already thought. Does does that happen tip uh, often or? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but I I have to imagine that there are lots of uh, local reporters out there who can tell you stories of of things appearing in the paper and then uh, jiggling someone's memory or, you know, it, it's not uncommon for stories to appear in papers and, and people come forward with more information, especially if they're unsolved cases. I've definitely written my fair share of unsolved or cold case stories. It's a good way when you're first starting in a town to get to know uh, the detectives and pe they appreciate that. It's a goodwill gesture and I think it's also something that those families really appreciate when you come back to them after a few years and say, you know, we're still we're still interested in your loss that you experienced. We're still trying to solve it. Um, people often think that uh, that victim families don't like reporters or are hostile to reporters. It's sort of a, a trope you see on TV and in the, the in the movies. But in reality, I have found that most people are are very happy to talk to reporters because. You know, you feel left behind when you have a, a loss in your family, a, a victim of crime, and it's not solved, and the world just moves on. And when a reporter shows up and says, actually, I want to shine a light on this and, and see if we can't help solve this, most people are really receptive and happy to talk to reporters. And there's an element of that in my book, too, because the girl who drowned 25 years ago, her body was never found, and her family feels very unresolved about it. They, they think things happen differently than than her friends said they did, and they carry that kind of feeling of, of not having a resolution with them. Is it is it different, is that response different in the immediate aftermath of a loss or tragedy? Um, I mean, I think it really depends on how... Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going to have to... Um, we're going to have to break here. I'm sorry, I wasn't watching the clock. Sure. Aggie, I have to take a short break. I hope you can stick around so we can talk some more. Of course. Um, if you're uh, listening to us on 92.1 FM in Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? 
So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a uh, new novel called All the Dirty Secrets from former crime reporter and best-selling author Aggie Bloom Thompson. And Aggie Thompson joins me by phone. Aggie, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Um, just before the break, we were, I, I wasn't watching the clock, and I had to cut you off, and I, I apologize for that. I usually save that for our political roundtable, and I cut those guys off regularly. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Aggie, you, uh, you want to pick it up where we left off? Yeah, I, I forget what we were talking about. <laughs> And, and and I was hoping to slide by the fact that so had I. Um, yeah. But I think we were talking about. Um, well, let's let's just move on. As a former police reporter turned best-selling author, are you no longer? Um, are, are you able to write full time now? I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Now I am writing full time. Um, my last newspaper job uh, was covering um, the area I live in for a community uh, newspaper called the Montgomery Gazette in Montgomery County, which is just outside D.C. And when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, the Washington Post owned all these community newspapers that ring D.C. in uh, Maryland and in Virginia and the, also the Army Navy Gazette. And he shut them all down. That's the, one of the first things he did when he bought the Washington Post. So um, our, our community had a terrible loss of losing all these terrific journalists and newspapers all around the D.C. area. So there, there really are many fewer newspaper jobs now than there were when I started well, out. Thanks, in the 90s. Jeff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, does it uh, bother you a little bit to know that your books are being sold on Amazon? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> ironic, right? Um, I'm happy. Look, I love Amazon. I love my, I have a mother and assisted living. I love being able to get things to her overnight if she needs them. I appreciate Amazon for that. But I don't think anybody would dispute that it's had a, tr- a dramatic effect on, on, on both publishing and the way news is delivered in America. And, and small businesses, I think. Mm-hmm. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And newspapers were small businesses, essentially. Now, in in my notes, and and fortunately, um, Heather sent me over some some talking points. And there's one that I I I wasn't really sure exactly how to connect. And and I want to um, ask this as awkwardly as I can. Go um, for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's about our present cultural reckoning, reckoning and um, issues of like assault and harassment against women. Yeah. Does that play right. a role in these events in, in your book? 
It does. And I want to give away the plot, but... Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm kind of dancing yeah. around that, too, because I don't right. I, I don't want to bump into any spoiler alerts. Yeah, I, let's just say that our attitudes as a society have changed a lot in the past 20, 30 years about what a sexual assault is, what consent is, what um, you're allowed to do when you're drunk, for example. These are things that just weren't really discussed at all in the 90s, as far as I remember. Um, and now the kids today are very aware of this stuff. Um, there's been a lot of messaging, a lot of educational attempts to get them to really think about this stuff. And they have a really different, teenagers today have a really different attitude than teens did back in the 80s and the 90s. And I find that really interesting because those teens from the 80s and 90s are now the adults. And sometimes it can cause conflict with their kids because kids are really looking at the world in a way that we didn't. It's fascinating to me. They, they hold people to, everyone to a much higher standard. Uh, they're much tougher in a way. Um, and so I, I thought that was just an interesting idea of do we hold ourselves to the standards of today um, or the standards of when we were growing up? In your book, um, it, it tells a story of... Um well, actually, sort of two stories uh, connected by um, uh, prep school graduate Lisa Gold, who was at a beach event 25 years ago when some a bunch of a bunch of young people, having graduated recently, um, go into the ocean and one doesn't come out, and right then 25 years later. Something similar happens uh, to one of her daughter Zoe's friends who right. drowns during Beach Week and right. under suspicious circumstances as well. I, just out of curiosity, why did you want to make it a friend of Zoe's and not Zoe herself? Oh, that's a really good question. I think because... I wanted her, I wanted access to that teenage world, and if, I didn't know how, how I would do that if not through her daughter, right? So I didn't, I didn't want Liza to be the grieving parent because I think if your child dies, the whole book has to be about that. If it's your own child, right? It, it has yeah. to take off the whole book, and I didn't want that to be the center of the book. So I wanted there to be a death that was close, but not that close, not Liza's family. And I also wanted to really stress that mother-daughter relationship, like to the breaking point. You know, I think those of us as teenagers or who have been teenagers know how challenging it can be, um, breaking away from your parents, asserting your independence. And that's certainly a big challenge for Liza and her daughter Zoe. Like, you know, how, how much freedom do you give a teenage girl? How many mistakes do you allow her to make on her own before you step in? Uh, what about her cell phone? Do you monitor it? Do you look and see who she's texting, who she's hanging out with, or do you say you're going to back off and respect her privacy? I thought all those things were really interesting and, and made more sort of urgent if, if there's a, a death involved, if there's a crime involved. Um, and so I really wanted to play with that mother-daughter relationship, and so that's why I did that. When, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the creative process, and I ask a lot of writers where they get their ideas from, and I know that seems like kind of a 101 question, but 
in your case, I'd, I'd like to change it up a little bit. Do you get ideas from the news? And, and when you're reading the news, does it give you ideas potentially for, for stories to write or elements of stories for the purpose of writing novels? Or are you more tempted to write the news? You know, I do get ideas from news. I'm still a, a huge newspaper <laughs> advocate and consumer. I get the physical newspaper delivered every day. I, it's, I can't even imagine starting my day without just reading almost the whole thing over coffee. And then whenever I'm in a, a town visiting, I get their local newspaper. I'm, I love local news. And that's where the really good stuff is, like in the police blotter, inside the B section. You find these crazy stories. And I cut them out, and I put them... In a file, when I was a reporter, it was called a tickler file. Yeah. Um, I still call it a tickler file. But I have my file of kind of crazy stories that have happened. A friend of and mine does some... something similar. He happens to be a yeah. songwriter, but he tucks away right. little bits and pieces, you know, chord progressions and lyrics and things. Yeah. And he calls it his boneyard. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. And the, and the thing is, any one interesting thing is not enough for a novel right? That might be enough for a chapter, or that might be a great short story. You need more than just one thing. So like in my book, there's the um, murder that takes place today. There's the drowning at Beach Week. There's prep school and, and cover-ups. Then there's um, issues of sexual assault and consent. Like you need a few things to carry you through 90,000 words of a novel. So a lot of times these little stories, they just sort of percolate in the back of my mind until I get a few more things that can connect it to make it a whole novel. Because it's never just, one thing is never enough. But you still have to, you still have to have that attitude towards life of always looking for ideas, you know. And, and I'm not, I'm also listening to my friends. I listen to people talk about the things that concern them, the things that stress them out, and I try to incorporate some of those modern day uh, things into my books as well. And my first book was about a, a new mom who moves to a neighborhood and she's framed for her neighbor's murder. And her neighbors don't know her because she's new. And they um, really only know her from her social media presence. And someone has taken over, her, hacked her social media. And do these people believe her or do they believe what they see online? And, you know, that plays off of, I think, many people's fears and anxieties about what social media is doing to our social relationships. So it's, it's always more than one thing. With this story, I, I, I think I kind of know the answer, but I ask a, a lot of writers how they approach coming up with a, a book. Is it the story first and then you cast characters into it, like casting a movie? Or do you come up with characters and then a story of things that might happen to them? It's the, it's the former for me. Like, I knew this was a book about Beach Week. And I didn't know how I was going to tell that story. Was it going to all be a Beach Week? Was it going to be partially a Beach Week? Um, was it going to be a book about teenagers? I didn't want to write a book about teenagers or just teenagers. So how to write a book about adults but have it be about Beach Week. So that's where I start going. Think, okay, what about a parent? A parent and your child's at Beach Week. And you get that phone call. The police have your child. Okay, that's good. But what if something happened to you when you were a teenager that it, it, it echoes an experience you had? So I definitely start with some kind of premise or idea first. 
and then I flesh it out and start populating it with my characters. Yeah, this this story could easily have uh, uh, traveled off on a on a coming of age path. Right. Yes, any any topic can be told so differently in the hands of different writers. Absolutely, Beach Week could lend itself to uh, you know romance, a rom com, coming of age. Um, but in, in my hands, it'll always be a murder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you just gave something away from the story. Well, I don't think I'm giving it away. It's a murder mystery. People should know that. It, it is a murder mystery. It is a whodunit. Um, and so I, I definitely don't want to mislead people. Um, if you enjoy page turners, I hope you'll enjoy this book. Does this, um, does this story and, and your penchant for um, murder mystery or, or suspense, thrillers, that sort of thing come from your work as a as a former police reporter or were you uh a sherlock holmes agatha christie uh fan yes it's the it's the second i was always interested in in mysteries and and crime when i was younger i loved encyclopedia brown i loved agatha christie I love true crime. I used to read Anne Rule a lot, all her books, you know, about Ted oh, Bundy yeah. and the Green River Killer. So, yeah, I was always interested in this stuff. And I think that's why when I, I applied to be a police reporter, you know, that's why I wanted to be a police reporter. Um, that, that was already kind of, that was already matching up with my pre-existing interests. Was it, when you were still um reporting on uh, on crime and in covering the police was it um was there an awful lot of pressure to be first with the story oh yeah you're in direct competition i mean when i when i my, i remember my first job in wilmington north carolina my shift ended at like 11 10 or 11:05 and that's because the 11 o'clock news would come on and I had to stay in a whole newsroom. And there wasn't really that many people left. It was the copy desk, the sports guys, me, and we would turn on, the news was always on and we'd all quiet down at 11 o'clock to see what have they got and have we got it, right? <laughs> so they can't have anything that we don't have. Um, and, and once in a while they would have something like a fire somewhere and we'd have to quick rush get that into the next day's paper. Yes, there's always that competition. At least in the old days, there was. And I and I wonder if that makes it hard to to be sure you've you've got all the right facts when you're writing to the clock. I think it it can be. I mean, my, I remember when I was in my first week in North Carolina. I very first week, I got a. a a murder, a drive-by shooting, and it was like at 10.30 at night. And I went down there, and the police, you know, had taped off the area, and they taped off the out on the body. They took the body away. They were, And they were taking a long time, and I was really nervous that I wasn't going to get the story in by 11 o'clock. Um, and I was calling it in. I was, this is the old days. I had one of those really huge old cell phones, and I was calling <laughs> in the details because I wasn't going to be able to get back to the newsroom in time. And yet, sometimes you don't get everything, and sometimes it, you may even get something wrong. But I think the attitude of daily newspapers is you'll fix it the next day. 
you know, it's better to get something in the paper and then fix it than nothing. Really? I, that's that's interesting. Cause I, I had a conversation about this with a, a FBI profiler from Quantico who had worked on, you mentioned Ted Bundy and Green River. Yeah. She had worked on those cases. And she was very experienced. And we were talking about, I think, uh, active school shooters in particular. Mm. And and, um, she said that when you see something tagged with breaking news, very, very often it's wrong. Right. Now, let me just stipulate that I can I am not speaking for television news. That is a whole different ballgame. They have their own standards. And I do think that with television news, they will report things wrong because they're constantly updating. Right. Yeah. And, so and, and just she said, in and they'll change it. Just in and they'll change it. So the yeah. number of alleged shooters, the number right. of uh, yeah. wounded and dead and the type of weapons, all of those things. She she said it's just it's it's staggering how wrong they get it in their yeah. rush to tell you that something is going on. Well, that's quite different from newspapers. I mean, in a newspaper, if we don't have someone who will tell us, like if you don't have a law enforcement to tell you something, you're not going to put it in the paper. Like every something like a number of bodies or num- will have to be substantiated. It have to be, you know. Yeah, forced. let me let you me to, yeah. um, let me make an addendum then to to my original question and say, is there more pressure on newspapers to get it right? than to be first well i think that it's equal pressure to get it right and be first you know but i think if if an editor had to choose they'd probably say get it right because they're they're newspapers of record right they, exactly. it doesn't just disappear into yeah. the ether like the way a news story does like good luck finding the original cnn reporting on you know some plane crash from 1995 but you can find the original stories in the, that were in the newspaper so uh, Reporters don't like to get facts wrong, and they do editors, and they don't like to have to run corrections. So, now you mentioned there's a there's a character in your book who um, is a police reporter, former police reporter, yeah, much like you. Yes, yes. Is is the person modeled after you, or? Are you writing? No. Are you writing because you are familiar with that world? Yeah. I, the reason I I made Liza a former police reporter is because I wanted to explain how she might be able to have the wherewithal to kind of investigate a crime story. So she's a she's working in the alumni office at this prep school. She's their communications director. She does the magazine. Um, but she starts digging in and asking questions about how these two deaths might be connected. And I thought it would be more realistic if she had had past experience um, with investigations and asking those kinds of questions. Um, you know, it's, because, I'm, I'm glad you yeah. said that. I'm glad you said that, Aggie, because I snicker a little bit sometimes when I see these, uh, you know, cozy mysteries with a veterinarian who solves crime yes. on the side, you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, but but let me ask this: Once you get a a credible uh, sleuth, as you have in this uh, in this book, all the dirty secrets, is it tempting at all to just go ahead and turn it into a series? 
It's funny you say that. Not Liza, because this story is so personal that okay. I can't imagine her transcending. But I have, I have thought about writing a series a lot. It's something I'm, that's very interesting to me. And I just haven't decided on the basics of where I would set it and who that, that main character would be. But I agree that um, I, I think you're, I prefer a sleuth who has some training or has some reason that they'd be good at this. Because uh, it's, you know, being a reporter or being a, a law enforcement officer, it's, it takes a certain personality, mentality, and, 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 and some training, you know. So I, I also have a little difficulty suspending complete disbelief um, with some of these stories. So. But I would love to write a series one day. I just, I, on my I've, bucket list. I've often asked, you know, writers, especially writers that are doing a series, if they got to the end of the first book and thought, but wait, there's more. <laughs> right. Now, with this book, I don't think there's any more. And I'm already working on my third book, which is another murder mystery that takes place during the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. So um, if I do write a series, it's going to be a couple years from now after I, I do these upcoming books. The special event murders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just take all the all the DC cultural events and have a murder take place. <laughs> you could see them um, a lot of fun at picnics and neighborhood barbecues. Oh yeah, you'd have everybody on uh, pins and needles. Yeah, um, yeah. Now this is this is a, a an interesting story. In the book is called "All the Dirty Secrets," written by former crime reporter and best-selling author Aggie Bloom. Thompson. Um, Aggie, we're almost at the end of our time, and, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. I can't believe how fast the time has gone, uh, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. It's just my full name, AggieBloomThompson.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I encourage people to come say hi. I love to chat with readers, not just about my books, but about books and stuff in general. So um, that's where I can be found. Are there books or authors that uh, have informed your your style as a novelist? I think so. I mean, there are there are, of course, Agatha Christie. I mean, I still reread Agatha Christie. She's she's a genius. Um, and in her plotting and, and, and just in her magnificent, you know, uh, characterization. But right now, um, I would say um, the people I'm reading who I really enjoy are, there's a woman named Laura McHugh. She writes sort of rural mm. noir. She wrote um, um, a couple of books, uh, What's Done in Darkness, I think, is her last book that came out uh, last year. Uh, it takes place somewhere in the Midwest. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember where, but I also love Laura Lippman. She writes about Baltimore. She wrote a book, Dream Girl, that I just finished that came out last year. So I think we're like in a golden age of really terrific mystery and thriller writers right now. There's no there's no dearth of great, great writers in that genre. Well, Aggie, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners, and uh, best of luck with all the dirty secrets. Thank you. And keep up thank the good you. work. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was... Uh
Aggie Thompson, author of All the Dirty Secrets. If you're listening to us on WFOVLP, Our Voices Radio 92.1 FM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions of my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when they when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and then we will return with lots more of the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Flint Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee. 
Emergency Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. (gasps) Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well that remains to be seen. Apparently Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish had spilled all over the carpet and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish, D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure? You don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I, D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. 
Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. And now, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train! Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery. This presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The story of Little Blue Riding Hood is true. Only the color has been changed to prevent an investigation. This is the woods. My name is Wednesday. I work out of homicide. Monday, February the 2nd, 10.22 a.m. Bumped into chicken licking. Told me the sky was falling. I booked her on the 6.14, turned her over to the psychiatrist. Then a call came in at a 5.03. When I was on my way to the 5.03, a 6.18 came in. I added up the 6.14, the 5.03, and the 6.18. Got 1,735. I handed in my paper to the chief. He corrected it. Gave me 100%. Patted me on the head. Told me I was a good cop. 11.45 a.m. it happened. I saw a little girl in a blue hood carrying a basket. I stopped to question her. Pardon me, ma'am. Could I talk to you for just a minute, ma'am? What about? Nothing much, ma'am. Just want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. What's your name? Little Blue Riding Hood. Where are you going, ma'am? Grandma's house. Yes, ma'am. What do you got in the basket? What are you trying to say? I got something in the basket I shouldn't have? No, ma'am. I didn't say that. Then why are you asking me all these questions for? Just routine, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. May I have a look in that basket, ma'am? Be my guest. Let's see. Sawed-off shotgun. Knife, bludgeon, box of dum-dum shells. Nothing suspicious here. All right, ma'am, we may want to talk to you later, so don't leave the woods. She skipped on down the path, but she didn't know I'd seen the concealed compartment in the basket. In it, what I'd suspected all along. Goodies. My job, get to Grandma's before she did. I took a shortcut through the strawberry patch. It was sort of a strawberry shortcut. I walked up to the cottage, rang the bell. Come in, dear. Okay, Grandma, it's a raid. A raid? Why, I'm just a peace-loving old lady. You've got the wrong grandma. Yes, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. Where'd you get that bump on your head? The sky fell on me this morning. I made a note to book her on the 614 and turned her over to the psychiatrist. I tied her up, put her in the closet, then I put on the grandma suit and got into bed. Come in, ma'am. Hello, Grandma. I got the loot. What are you doing in bed? I'm feeling poorly. But, Grandma, what big ears you have? All the better to get the facts. I just want to get the facts, ma'am. But, Grandma, what a big subpoena you have in your pocket. All the better to serve you with. But, Grandma, what a big 38 police special you have pointed at me. All the better to take you in. You're under arrest. You and your Grandma are operating a goodies ring. A cop. I should have known. Known what, ma'am? You look nothing like my Grandma. 
You forgot about the mustache. But I don't have a mustache. I know, but Grandma does. Well, I see you broke the goodies ring. How'd you get a lead on her, Joe? I just played a hunch, Frank. It was just a hunch. I played my luck. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. I was just lucky. I just played a hunch, Frank. What you're trying to say, Joe, is you just played a hunch. A lucky guess. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. You just played a hunch. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Joe? Yeah. I just played a hunch. was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Sumner 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.